Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I am absolutely thrilled to have the author on. I, I hunted her down because some of the topics that she writes about. Her name is Rain, Rain Lacco. So Rain, would you like to say hi to the listeners? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Vicki. I'm thrilled to be here. And I love the Office of the Pacific Northwest. I'm a, I live here in the Pacific Northwest and it's a wonderful place. I'm super excited because today is the day my YA novel finally released. And it, as you know, months go by before books release. And so it's a really special day for me. Spark Press uh, um, is, our pub- is my publisher and it's just really thrilling to finally have this book out. Well, I'm excited to have you on the day of release. That's pretty a big honor for me. And um, we're going to, don't worry, listeners, we're going to tell you all about it. So just hold tight. You know, I like to get down in some information first before we find out about the actual book. So, so Rain does live in the Pacific Northwest. So Rain, tell us um, what state you're in. We like to narrow it, that in a little bit. Absolutely. I live on Bainbridge Island, just off the coast of Seattle in Washington, Oh, one of the most um, beautiful places in Washington, I would say. <laughs> oh, I, we're really, really happy. You know, we used to live in Southern California, and while that's very nice, this is absolutely my jam. I love it. I went to school in Vancouver in Canada, and so this really feels like home, and I really love the four seasons, and we're really, really blessed to be surrounded by 200-foot cedars and to have a, a Puget Sound around us, and, I, and we're really happy. Oh, I love it. Bainbridge Island is probably one of my favorite places. Um, I, I'm southwest Washington of you, so I'm I'm closer to Vancouver, Washington than I am Seattle. Spend lots of time in Seattle and love the ferry system. Like it's like my dream to write while I'm on the ferry commuting to work, which will never happen because I work from home. So that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> we have to come visit me and you'll have your opportunity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um so I ask a couple of questions, kind of stumper questions for people to get to know you just a little bit. And then we're going to dive a little bit into your background and your actual work and the work that you want to talk about today. Because um, there are some listeners that might not have met you yet. And so this is their opportunity to get to know you just a little bit. Um, and this is one of those questions I don't know if I sent to you. So it might be a stumper one. Um, we are told as authors all the time, you know, we need to be reading often and we need to be writing all you know often as well so currently rain what's on your bookshelf what are you reading oh my goodness that is a that's a great question i am right now obsessed with um historical fiction and i have been just eating up margaret george um i like (laughs) she's fantastic and She's someone that I really just um, admire, you know, not only for the lengths of her of her books, but also her depth and passion and and her research. So, I have been on a Margaret George binge. Well, it's so like my next one. Yes, I, I, I'm right now. My next book will either be the Cleopatra one or the um, the Nero book in his younger years. Yep, I've read all of them. I, I'm I'm a huge historical fiction fan. That's what I'm writing. You and I were talking a little bit about that before we started to record. Um, I can't get enough time in the day to keep up with all of the books I want to read. So, oh my goodness. Oh my heavens. It's amazing how much she's produced in her career. It's it's astounding. I know she's fantastic. She is definitely an inspiration. Um, So, so good. Well, I'm glad we have that in common. We do have some other things in common. We're going to, I think we'll talk about here in the future in a little bit, but give us a little bit about your background because you have a really amazing background as far as, um, you know, moving. I don't know if you're a full-time author now or have, if you um, are working and being an author as well at the same time. So you're doing two jobs like some of us. So share a little bit about your background. Sure, sure. Um, I'll start at the beginning. When I was in high school, I always wanted to be a writer, and I didn't really think it was a career, and I was concerned about what the future would hold, and I ended up um, studying liberal arts, which doesn't really give you a job, and um, 
when I graduated, there wasn't a lot I could do that wasn't a minimum wage job. So I went back to college. I actually went to Vancouver. I was living in Toronto at the time. And I moved to, to Vancouver to go to graphic design school. And then I'm, I emigrated to the United States. And I ended up working in as a marketer, in, as the director of marketing for Century 21. And it was, you know, great job. And um, I was happy, but I spent a lot of time just wrestling with characters and scenes in my mind and it would keep me up at night and so as much as I was really enjoying my career and it was going well and I was loving what I was doing I I needed to write and so um when I was gosh 15 years ago um I just decided to start querying magazines and start trying to write a book that was in my mind that I would not stop thinking about I had this character that I wanted to write and um, writing for magazines became my thing. I did a lot about alternative health and family issues and wellness. And um, the book that I wanted to write, I, I found out very quickly that you don't just write a book. You have to learn how to structure it, how to write an opening scene, what the character arc is. And so I took, it took me a very long time to go from um, having a book idea to actually writing a book in the meantime, I met the love of my life, and I had children, and um, so basically, I spent a lot of time writing for magazines and um, slaved away at a book that was mostly writing scenes and deleting scenes. But I ended up um, finishing that book, gosh, um, in 2016, it was released after 10 years, maybe, of working on it. And it was a, it's a sex, drugs, and rock and roll adult contemporary fiction book, and it was really well received, but... You know, my kids were really young, and they couldn't read it. It has the heroin in it, and rock and roll at Los Angeles is swearing and sex. And so um, and around that time when it came out, I also started working with teens and um, doing an after-school teen writing workshop, and that just changed my life. I just started to love YA and I loved the middle school books that I was reading with my children and it I, I even started feeling a little embarrassed around adults that I had you know sexy scenes and so this book that I have coming out now that is YA is such a reflection of uh, of the people that I love you know my um, the setting and the language and the um, area is sort of an homage to my dad because he you know, he, he really inspired that, the setting, and I'll get to that later, but the, um, the sweet grittiness and the hope that I have for my character, it really has a lot to do with becoming an author. And yes, I write full time now. It's a huge, huge blessing. And, um, I teach teen writers and I work within the schools and I do a summer camp and we do a spoken word event. And I'm really, really into, um, helping young people, do what I didn't do, become writers at a young age. Oh, you know, your story totally inspires me so much in so many ways. And, and, but one reason why I was completely drawn to you was because of your first um, novel that I stumbled upon. I haven't read it yet. It's on my, my reader's list to read um, because I, I actually um, have a book also in the background around rock and roll. Um, my husband, I actually met a rock and roll individual who was living that life when we got married and, and we ended up touring full-time with our kids um, when they were very little. So I, I, I was called a road mom um, and I took my kids on the road until they went to school full-time. <laughs> and, and We have so much to talk about. <laughs> we do. We really do. And um, it was absolutely, my kids love the whole experience. Like in their mind, it was the biggest adventure of their life. For me as a mother, it was incredibly challenging <laughs> in so many ways. Um, but I, I'll never give back that experience. But I have a whole book around a couple in a relationship in rock and roll and all the challenges that can be presented in that. So um, when I heard about your first book, I'm like, I got to get rain on. She's from the Northwest. We have to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I have, sure. we have a cup of coffee in our future. 
Oh, yes, we do. I mean, it's going to be far more than the podcast, I believe. So, but let me ask you this question for our listeners so they're not like going, oh, here goes Vicki again in love with one of our authors, <laughs> which happens all the time. Um, how did you, where did you get the inspiration for your first book? Um, is it something that you knew or you were associated with? Where you, did you know people in the industry? Where was that inspiration from? I would have to say it was all music. You know, my, my first, the first book that I wrote, um, you know, what I, what I first imagined it to be is not what it turns out to be, which is true for, I think, every book in the, in the universe. Um, what I originally wanted was a character who, her entire language was music, but the only things that she said were song lyrics. And, you know, for copyright reasons alone, that book could never exist. But um, I really see... My, my vision was more that um, there is a song for everything. And there's for every single person walking around, your heart is filled with soundtrack of your life. There's been a, a song that was playing in the background for every moment of things that, of your memory. And so what I really would have liked to have for that book was to have my character speak only in song, in lyrics, and um, kind of show how we in our lifetime are imprinted by so many songs and there really there's nothing that we can express that has not already been expressed in music and I really believe that music and art visual art um allow us we don't I'm a writer and I think words are kind of tertiary I think music and and the and visual arts come first as a language because no matter where you are what your age is what language you speak what your religion is you understand music you understand art you can look every we can all come together and um, hear or see a piece and feel something and share something that sometimes words muddle up Sometimes words are um, misinterpreted or they mean something in a different culture, but I, I do feel like music is universal and to a large extent, art, art, you know, visual arts as well. Oh, that's, I anyway. really, no, I love it. I honestly think we were drawn together because that's something I've preached from day one in my world. Everybody that knows me knows the, the belief that the arts are so important to our sanity as, as humans and to our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny yes. that, that your character, I loved, love the concept of the idea of having a character only speak in music, but I can see where the challenges are, um, especially coming from the industry. You know, you can't even get past two minutes worth of music without getting, you know, some sort of something. Um, well, I mean, copyright is important. It's, it is you know, so hugely important. And, and our lives, I mean, this is a side note, everybody, but our lives, my husband's um, whole world changed when digital music was available for download. Life changed dramatically. CD cells were no longer the way it was and we had to quickly change in the industry and if you didn't change you became you know obsolete so so lived we lived through that um but I love the idea of what you said about um life having a soundtrack I can totally testify to that and here's a little snippet about me um every Every morning I wake up to a song in my head. There's already music going in my head. And when I go to bed, it's usually mm. another song going on. And throughout the day, I listen to music nonstop throughout the day. But there have been times in my life where music has stopped in my mind. And those are the times when I know when I stop hearing a, a continual soundtrack of music, regardless, and it's it's a variety of music. It's not individual stuff I'm creating. It's music that I've heard, you know, all my life. Then yeah. I know it's time to touch base with something going on in me because um, I'm no longer content and happy. There's something off kilter if that soundtrack isn't going in my heart and in my mind when I go to bed or wow. when, Yeah, so... I love that awareness, though, you have. Well, it's interesting because I didn't have it for a long time because there was a long time when we left the music industry... Um, I didn't realize why I was a little sad for a while. I wasn't writing. Um, but prior to that, I had been dancing a lot too. Um, prior when my husband and I were together in the industry, I did some dancing stuff, but I stopped everything artistic and just kind of focused in on finishing my career and getting, getting, you know, really working hard and getting the kids raised. And I was like, laughing once with my husband like I just don't hear music anymore I don't see chore- choreograph and I don't see um I'm just not feeling 
expressive any longer. And he really was the one who encouraged me to write again. And he goes, just write. Maybe that's what you need. And that then when I started to mm-hmm. write again, everything else started to open up and music started to come back, da- dance started to come back. So I believe they're all intertwined together. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah, you have to express yourself. You absolutely yeah. have to for your mental health and for your sanity, but also to give something to your community. Oh, yeah. Now, what is your community if you're not sharing some part of yourself? Yeah, totally true. Totally true. And that's why I love this podcast because I've got to meet so many new authors I had never met in the Northwest and also be able to give back to people that are in a state of where, hey, I want to write, but I don't know where to get started. This podcast has been yeah. a gem because authors are coming on and sharing so much wisdom for us. So, um, so I, I think that we were meant to be connected. So now that we've gotten past that, let's start talking about some other stuff because the listeners are going, okay, Vicki, your cosmic connection has just happened again. Yay. <laughs> so, so Rain, talk to us a little bit about your writing process and you can, you can, um, talk about your current work that is is released today if you want to focus in on just that um but do you have a process like does a story drop in your head and then now you sit down and you map it out are you a planner or do you just write straight through or do you have rituals you do so that you can stay on track share with the listeners some of the that information um sure that's good i'd be happy to um gosh that's I would say that um, one of the most important things for me is to figure out why a character is behaving the the way they are and what matters to them. Um, In the past, uh, I was concerned with creating original ways to express familiar ideas. And my characters were very much in their heads. And while a lot of Asians enjoyed the intellectual aspects, my writing kind of lacked uh, an an emotional urgency that we all seek. And I've come to appreciate how readers respond to feelings. And I think that's true for every book category and genre. There's no clever plot device or pithy observation or cold-blooded murder or car chase that can hook a reader the way real human emotion can. I think we all want to bond with the protagonist's emotions more than our thoughts. And so embracing this change has really um, changed my entire approach to writing. And so for me, it is all about why the character is behaving the way that they are and what matters to them. And I want to figure out what they want and what's standing in the way and what they'll do to achieve their goal. And that's what invests my heart. Um, I think the best stories are those that motivate the the readers to want what the character wants. And that means revealing the protagonist's emotions on every page and every scene. So I guess my process is figuring out what matters and why it matters. And then I stop at nothing until my protagonist achieves a satisfying happy ever after. I'm definitely a happy ever after person. Um, You know, I think that we don't ask why enough. When I'm working with teens, they'll sometimes have really funny scenes or things will happen. And I I think why is the most important question you can ask. And I, I really feel like there are times when I've written scenes in the past where I've been really proud of them. And then I've had an editor come and say, you know, one of the most important things is in each scene is for our protagonist to come in wanting something and then have that thing refused and have it refused two, three times so that they gather more information, but they also have to stand up and fight for the thing they want. And by the end of it, they don't necessarily get it, but they walk away having learned something and having new information and having feelings about that. There's, if we're being refused the thing that we want, we can't, we obviously are going to have feelings about it. And I just, I don't know. I, as I said, I've grown very, I've swung from, being really philosophical and intellectual with my character's thought to being really, really constantly thinking about how they feel about things. And I, I don't know, that changes an entire book. I love it. I'm very much drawn to characters like you're talking about. I don't, I don't, I'm not really always drawn to the florally descriptions of a scene, but I want to know what's motivating that character through their decision making, even if they don't know it, I can sense it, you know, it's kind of like, um, and I get, I get really frustrated in writing because I'm like, wait a minute, no, I got to know more and you're not sharing it with me. <laughs> well, I think even if the writing is not 
strong. I mean, we have the books that are out there that are very popular that aren't necessarily the best written books, right? Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. maybe think about um, vampire novels or, you know, ones in particular. I'm not going to name any Oh, names. I know. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. <laughs> or, you know, like a, a Fifty Shades of Grey type book where people are eating it up. And it's not because the writing is so strong or so intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's because it's there's so much emotion on each page. And it's so, um, the, there's an unresolved want mm-hmm. that is just being um, lengthened and lengthened, but and things are just getting in the way constantly of that want being resolved. Yep. And yep. so I don't even, if you can master emotion, you know, that is that is the battle. It really, really is. But if you can also have a really interesting story, then you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. And um, and talking about those books that we won't mention, um, that was an eye-opening thing for me because my daughters were reading those books. Well, one started it years ago when they first came out and they're like, mom, read this because I don't know if you'll like it or not, but I'm going to read it. So I, use, I usually read stuff my daughters were reading at the time. And I remember reading the three of them and or four, I can't remember how many they were. And I was like, our daughters and I had huge discussions around emotions and how writers are using emotions to um, explain an underlining theme that they're not going to come out and say, you know, but this is like a metaphor. So it ended up being very intellectual discussions that we had over writing that wasn't intentionally intellectual. (laughs) We laugh about it all the time. And I think that it's important that, you know, we, I think emotions, like you said, is what draws people into books. Like you said, it doesn't necessarily, might not be the best writing, but it's the emotional hook that gets them there. <laughs> it really is. And oftentimes I think we are, if I'm working with teens, we'll talk about their favorite movies or their favorite books. And even if you take something where it's um, very physical or say, say even something like Star Wars, where you have all these scenes where action takes place, and there's a, you know, there's a kind of a large following for Star Wars. Why is that? It's not because the action is, is so fantastic. It's because all the action matters. There's, there's a, there's a, um, a soul journey that's going on and everything that's happening has um, an emotional, you know, payoff or a reason. And even if you're looking at um, a comic book, you know, looking at Batman or Spider-Man, all of the action that seemingly is so exciting, would, it means nothing if the, if the reader isn't caring about what the hero is going through. And mm-hmm. so um, I think it's really important that it's very easy to say, well, this book was really exciting, but, but why? Because nothing matters if we, if we don't have, we don't understand the protagonist's heart. There's, no, there's nothing that can matter. And if we don't, if we're not there with them in, their longing. If we're not there with them in tragedy, if we're not, if we don't, if we're not feeling it, then it just is uh, just action. Oh, I love it, and I love you mentioned Star Wars to your your students as an easy one to uh, to explain. You know, with the the journey, <laughs> I happen to be a huge follower of Star Wars, <laughs> big time. Uh-huh. Because I love the journey. I love from the time I saw it when I was a younger girl, and it's huge. And I also love Wookies. I'm a big dog fanatic so I'm like cut out a Wookiee thank um, you for saying that I love the Wookiees I don't think oh, that they uh they they're I love them too oh uh, so much <laughs> is so it that, wrong to want a snuggle one? Oh yeah I, I want one and my husband when he went to he went to this funny story so sidetrack people that know me um so he went to um South Africa to work a couple well probably about eight years ago and they were selling Adidas jackets there and they had a name on it, Wookiee and it was all Brown and it had fur on the top of it. He's like, Oh my Lord, I have to get this. My wife's going to lose it. And it's for him. So he's like over six feet tall. So he comes off the plane in a Wookiee jacket and I almost lost it. I'm like, Oh my word. I could have then all we had was sat phones. Like we couldn't take pictures a lot. And so I didn't know he was coming off the plane in a Wookiee jacket. And to this day, we have that jacket. I love it. Um, but I, and when I saw a Wookiee for the first time, my sister and I had to go to Disney world for work convention and they didn't tell me that they were taking me to go see a Wookiee. And so I did the whole girl fan thing. So I'm standing in line. I'm like, what are we, what are we in line for guys? And like, mom, you're going to get to see a Wookiee. And I hyperventilated, started to cry (laughs) and pictures and video of me. I'm like crying as he's giving me a big hug. I mean, it was just like a huge, yeah. And, um, and this Halloween, so 
listeners, by the time this episode comes out, you will have updates on my social media. I'm sure about Halloween. We're doing a Star Wars theme on Halloween at my house. And we have over a thousand kids that come to our neighborhood to trick or treat. And we're doing it all. So cool. Stormtroopers. I'm going to try to hire a Wookiee. I'm going to be Princess Leia. I have a bunch of friends coming to make sure we can hand out candy. My husband's doing a whole screen that covers up our entire house, and we're doing the whole movie series during the whole night. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh. It's going to be a stow shop, um, stopper. You know, we're going to have people lining up from, and we do every year because last year I did a mermaid and it was like a human gigantic mermaid in a shell and I had people coming and stopping and taking pictures so this year it's Star Wars and I'm so excited (laughs) and it's going to be incredible yeah so everybody knows on social media I'll be posting pictures on that one so if you're following me oh yeah yeah Yeah, okay we have deviated sorry Rain let's get back to (laughs) the topic at hand so publication. I like to have authors share with us a little bit about their publishing journey, you know, um, because I have a lot of people like myself who haven't published yet that are listening to the podcast and we get a lot of information from your journey. So are you self-published, traditionally published? Are you in a hybrid of the two? Kind of talk us through the journey. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, all of the above. Um, You know, when I, when I first started in my you know, 15 years ago when I had my book idea, there were, there were tons of publishers and, um, you know, Amazon wasn't what Amazon is today. And I got the advice that I would, I should, um, query a book to agents to see if it was marketable. And so I wrote a query letter for my, for uh, my first book and pitched the idea, and um, I had agents come back and say, I love this, write the book, and send me the manuscript. <laughs> so it's a different time. So we're talking about, I mean, that makes me old as dirt, but basically I am old as dirt. So um, it's been a long, changing, crazy road, and um, I have written for magazines. I have written for websites, and um, that book I ended up self-publishing it won um i I did some of the uh pit mad twitter uh contest and that book um won and i worked with somebody and even then i did get an agent at that time so i that book was self-published um my new book coming out a song for the road is by is being published by um scar press which is the indie publisher of the year they just won an award and I, I love them. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm plugging yeah, it again. Yeah, they're like my yeah. my gold standard of what I want to do when I grow up is be published with them. <laughs> so yeah. that's the and, goal. And they have a division she writes, which is also excellent. For yeah, yeah. Who are talking it out? Um, I have a nonfiction manuscript as well that I co-wrote with another person, and it's um, a series of art activities, and it's it's for teens. It's a self-guided journal where teens can explore their emotions by doing artistic activities. And then there's six, there's 17 different contributors from all different part um, areas of the arts who have um, contributed their anecdotes and ideas for ways to deal with the emotions. And so that book will be published next year through an academic publisher who I can't mention right now, but we're um, negotiating the contract for that right now. So um, you name the type of publishing and I've been there and it's, it's tough. It really is tough. Um, agents, they are wonderful and they are working so hard now because it's a, it's a, the publishing landscape is very, very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, okay, first, I'm very excited about the compilation book that you're working with other artists. Um, that is mm-hmm. so super exciting. And I think absolutely needed in our culture today, where, uh, you know, the budding generation can maybe stop and look at their emotions and, and work through art and maybe not on the phone or text messaging, <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, so that to, that's brilliant. I'm very excited about that for you guys. Thank you. Um, and it just, oh, I wish my kids were teens so I can get one for them, but I'll have to buy one for my future teen grandchildren in the future. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. We're actually thinking about doing one for, you know, you're not in this age group yet, but for people who are um, uh, or, or older. So we have the young people and mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking about the next, our next book will actually be for people who are in seniors' residences. Oh, that would be so, so beautiful. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. I think that, you know, 
I love it. What a great concept and what a great project to be a part of. How how fantastic is that? Um, so, so the question I have about your publishing experiences, and you've done quite a bit from um, from articles, which is a whole different process. And you you had mm-hmm. traditional um, publishing, and then you've gone to the indie with she she writes in um, fantastic, amazing group. What would be your tip for somebody like me who is working on that manuscript and isn't quite sure where to go yet, you know, with your experience? Do you have advice that you share with people in that case? Um, I always like to give whatever I can. Um, That's a a tough question because everybody has a, is there as a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one of the best things, and you're doing it right now, is to have friends who are writers so mm-hmm. that you're not alone as a writer. And, you know, being a writer is inherently lonely and it's, it's fraught with doubt. You have got to have friends who are writing who you can, um, who can talk you down from the ledge and who you yep. can talk down from the ledge. And that's important. Absolutely. Um, I think that we have to come to terms with who we are as writers before we can pitch anybody. We have to ask ourselves, am I writing for the joy of it? Do I aim to serve a specific audience? And what am I trying to say with my writing? In the end, if you want to sell books, it's a product. And so um, a publisher wants to know where your book is going to sit, what shelf it's going to sit on in the bookstore. An agent wants to be able to say, this is this category of book and it will serve this kind of audience. And if you know that audience and if you love that audience and you have a, a, something that's specific that you want to say to that audience, that is the kind of agent you're looking for, someone who specializes in that area. I think the hardest thing to do, and trust me because I write a lot of, I, I, you know, I write across the board, fiction and nonfiction, having um, the, the, the less specific you are, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. I think that if you are laser focused on a specific category or genre, that is your bread and butter as far as publication is concerned. I think that, you know, booksellers need to know what they're selling and readers need to know what they're buying. And if you are able to um, serve that audience with, you know, with, with integrity, with what they're looking for, then it's good. As mm-hmm. When you get to that place where you're like, well, it's part romance, it's part crime, it's mm-hmm. part noir, that's when it becomes difficult to publish. I think so, that's um, amazing advice, actually. Because <laughs> here is what I've been hearing, and tell me if I'm hearing correctly. Uh, so this will be probably my 70th published podcast. I've done a lot more interviews. Not all of them have been out yet. So you will be around the 70th mark. And the feeling that I'm getting is that it's no longer like it used to be where you can just write a story and then hopefully, you know, an editor or a publishing house or an agent's going to come and help develop you into being author. No, no, no. You need to really have a game plan in your mind and then they will probably come alongside you and, and guide you towards what's accurate about that game plan or what your vision is for yourself or or your platform, your author platform. You have to, I have had so many authors tell me that they were kind of shocked when they were ready to sell their first book or, and and a marketing, um, an agent or a, a publisher would say, well, what's your brand? And they're like, um, right. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> So, so I, I, feel like, I feel like you're kind of saying that. <laughs> so you are, you're really hitting the nail on the head. And it's honestly been something I'm only waking up to now because I think that I've been um, trying to please others or trying not to offend anybody. And it's not that I should offend anybody. It's more that I need to be unapologetically myself. You need mm-hmm. to be unapologetically yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we have a specific voice, and we stand for something. And I say, what, what kind of writer do you want to be? What do you have to say? When you're standing for something and you represent something, it's not about the number of followers you have. It is that consistency. Mm-hmm. It's being known for your heart. Yep. And um, that is really your platform. And I think that if you have proof, if you are writing about something that you truly can write about for, I'm going to say, five years plus, then um, it's much more marketable. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I am guilty of wanting to write this, wanting to write that. I love historical fiction and I'm writing contemporary YA. Mm-hmm. There's that passion that's in there that, you know, I'm a writer. I have to write. It's going to happen because I have to write. It's just how I'm built. But as on a marketing level, not so smart. <laughs> but, uh, well, I don't know if anybody is. Honest to goodness, there's a few people out there in the industry now that are amazing marketers and they're selling what they do to help other authors. But I, every author I know, it's like, we're just kind of feeling our way through it too, you know, and you just, you try things and it doesn't work and you move on and, you know, keep doing it. So that's kind of the thing. Just keep going. Right. <laughs> you know, I would say if you find your gig, if you like historical fiction, I write that stuff and write it well and stay with it and do it and, and love it, you know, decide what you have to say with it and stay with it. And, and until you have reached whatever goal you're looking for is to find an agent and get published. That's great. You have to find your agent and, and publish three books in a series, then stay with it until that goal is met and be that person and talk about that thing that you love. Um, be unapologetically yourself. Your writing is your art. Mm-hmm. Um, just you stick with it. And I know a lot of people say, well, I wish I had more time. I wish I was a full-time mm-hmm. writer like you. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I didn't, nobody hired me to be a full-time writer. This is something that I've crafted. This is something that um, I've learned to be able to um, pay bills. You know, you, you mm-hmm. find you find the thing that you can talk about with great, great passion and not shut up about, and then it, it becomes your life, and it's wonderful. If you want to write, I say write, and make it your life. If that's, yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to If you want to make art, make your art, and you keep crafting that until your life looks like what you want it to look like. You want love, go after love. Keep loving until your life looks like it's full of love. You know, I, I feel like you do the thing that that is, is in your heart. Well, I am going to... I know, no, but this is so good. I think this was meant for me today. And there that means that it was meant maybe for one other person that listens to this podcast because I've been beating myself up. And then we're going to talk more about your book here. We're going to jump off this. Um, but I've been beating myself up because my first manuscript is taking forever in my mind because I read a lot of blogs and I hear, you know, write your book and get it out and self-publish and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, but I don't want to write crap. I don't want to just write a book. Right. I want something that I'm so proud of that anytime somebody asks me or they read it, they can feel all of that love and pride in that story that has to come out, but has to be done well. And so I totally appreciate you saying that because I, in the process of it taking so long, where the podcast has been very natural and easy for me to keep going, the writing part isn't in the sense, because I, I have this mental deadline block because I, it's been a year. I haven't gotten much out there, but I'm working on it and I'm working on it with other writers. It's not like I'm sitting alone. They're actually giving me feedback and helping me develop the story. So I'm working on it, but it's slow. And I'm so grateful you said that because it helps me remember that it is an artistic expression and it ta- it should take a while. It shouldn't be something that you just throw out there and be like, okay, I wrote a book. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Okay. Well, in your in, in the case of what you're talking about, and I, I prefer it this way. I think, as I said, being specific is really helpful because everybody's on their own path. So we'll talk, talk about yours because we're talking about yours. There is room for revision, and revision is so incredibly important. And it's important to have your have writers in your life so you can share each other's work and um, respect like each other's work and, and get advice from one another. All of that stuff is absolutely important because we cannot write alone. We have to have a village around us sharing and, and helping us because what's happening, the scene that we see in our head and what's on the page often don't match. And so it really takes a set of fresh eyes and an objective friend to help us get those scenes onto the page. And so, and revision is beautiful. You can change things. You can change it and and you can delete and you can move things around. It's beautiful. However, at some point we do have to let go. On the one hand, writing is um, a craft, it's a skill. I happen to like Blake Snyder's Save the Cat structure. I love Donald Moss's The Emotional Craft of Fiction. These are uh, mentors that I follow, that I listen to their advice, and I apply it to my work. I'm not just making it up as I go along. These are people who um, are have tried 
everything and they know what works. And so I follow these people's advice. There's all kinds of um, books out there on craft. But at some point, we do have to let go of our art. And writing is never perfect. There's no perfect book out there. And at some point, with all art, there's no finished painting. There's no finished song. There's nobody who has, you know, there's no rock and roller on tour, you know, after 30 years on the road who's like, this song is still so awesome. No, they would have, they could arrange it a thousand different ways. They could change the lyrics. They probably do with this thing at live. There's nothing that's ever perfect. And right now, I, I have, I'm halfway finished rewriting my very first book because I want to make it YA and I want to take out some of the sex scenes because as I said to you from the very beginning, you know, now that I work with so many young people and I have young kids, I, I'm a little, I, I don't like to have the sex scenes. It feels, it feels uncomfortable. I work, I, I work with children and I see their parents. I don't like it. So I want to rewrite that book. I wish I hadn't said the things I said. Is that crazy? Maybe, or maybe it's not because I'm switching to YA and maybe that's the best thing I could possibly do. So I just, at some point you have to um, forgive your writing for not being flawless because it, it's art. It can't be. We have to let go. We have to say, this is my good work. And now I'm going to do another book. Now I'm doing number two in the series. And it, it's one of the toughest things, but at some point we have to let go. But I'll tell you a little thing. Though. I'm going to add one more thing that may not sound so great. When it's time to let a book go and when it's about to be published or it's a short story, and it's ready to go off to that literary magazine that said, yes, if we've revised it enough times to the right amount, we know we've done it enough times because we hate it. It's every word is crap. None of it makes sense. Then you're, then you know, you're good to go. <laughs> you, I think that's you so loved it. And, awesome. feel like you hate it. <laughs> and then, and then you're finished working on that thing because it's, you can't do anymore. And then you can let it go. And then when you see it, when it's in print and you haven't been around it for, you know, several months, it's just wonderful. You'll see your own writing and it will be so fantastic and so beloved and everything that you will hope your book to be will be right there in the pages. But you have to let that part go. You have to go over that bridge. I love it. I love it. I love it. You're speaking to me. This is what I needed to hear today. So this is fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving that advice freely to for me and for others, because I think that's a struggling piece. I think that we will off authors or artists will often be so self-critical or so self in mm-hmm. that it's hard to just let go and, and do it, you know, and oh. say, hey, here it goes. <laughs> It's a part of us. We all, we all know that 10 years from now, we're going to be a 10-year better writer than we are mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm, so yeah. why wouldn't we just hold on to all our little projects and wait yeah. for 10 years and then rewrite them? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know what? I'm going yeah. to say that I love the idea that you're rewriting your book for YA. I actually love YA books almost more than a lot of other genres because I feel like oftentimes sex is used in, in art or in medium as a distraction. It's not, it's not artistic. And so I think that for adult stories, it's fantastic, but I think the stories, I love YAs because they don't have graphic art, um, graphic sex scenes in them. And um, I don't write in mine, mine's an adult, you know, genre, but I, I just had my, my first sex scene reviewed by the authors that I worked with and, and they were all just completely impressed that the emotions were there, but it had nothing to do with the actual sex act. And they, they fell in love mm-hmm. with the characters because that's what I want to read. I, and I think that there needs to, there's can be class in, in presenting that part of our lives. So that's why I love YA is because you're not going to go there. <laughs> you're not going to have the opportunity to have, you know, some interesting stuff where usually I just flip through those pages and say, okay, whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, well, let's, let's jump into this. First, I'm going to ask you one other question, and then I want you to set the stage um, after that question, after you answer it for um, what you're going to share with us, your reading, your title of your work. And you know what? We also reined in it for the listeners. They know they can go to show notes as, you know, after they listen to this, prefer to listen to this and find your website. But um, can you also tell us what titles you have published? And then um, that way it'll help them kind of know what we're talking about because we've just been talking a ton. So the, so first tell us um, your titles you've published and then I'll come back to the next question when you're done with that. All right. Um, I have published Radiohead under the name Rebecca LeClaire, the pen name. Um, that book, I am, as I said, um, in the process of rewriting to be a YA romance. Uh, today, my book, A Song for the Road, came out from Spark Press. And in 2020, my nonfiction self-guided workbook for teens is called Dream Up Now. It will be out. How I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited about all of your works. And, and I'm, I'm going to definitely be reading everything. Um, okay, so then here's the other question um, that I had that I rabbit trailed and came back to. Um, what is... If you can narrow down one thing that you can share with us, what's your inspiration? What keeps you going? What's been keeping you going these last years? But what what is it that that keeps you motivated to keep writing? I don't think I have a choice. There's mm-hmm. times when I really feel like, what is the point of giving up? <laughs> or you know, what does it all mean? I ask, what does it all mean a lot? Um, I don't know that I chose to write. I think that it chose me, and that sounds incredibly cheesy, but every time I think about other careers, I think about how I could work writing into it because I want to. I love words, and I love studying languages, and I like the origin of words. And so for me, I don't think I can get away from it, even if I try. And so I don't, it's just who I am. And when I get up in the morning, if I think about something that needs to get done, I, I always express it in words. And um, I've been talking your ear off because I really am digging your vibe. But I'm really a hermit. I'm a, I'm a hermit. And I love being at home. And I love, I love writing. And I love reading. And I love books. I like the way they smell. I like the way mm-hmm. they look. I like people who write them. I, I'm, I love my library. And... Um, I just don't think it's a choice. And when I when I teach teens, I I see these young people that are are slapping around journals that are filled with words, and they're you know they're loved. Those journals are loved to death. The covers are all bent apart, and there's and they, their words are so small because they want to fit as many as they can on the page. <laughs> I I think writing finds us. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's just a it's a it's a certain spirit that is there. It's not for everybody, but uh, it's definitely for me. Uh, I think that is probably one of my favorite and most beautiful explanations, <laughs> as, as I've asked a lot of authors, because I do think it finds you. Uh, for me, writing has saved me more than anybody can imagine. Those journals that I kept in high school and junior high kept me sane. And, and so, so I think that's beautiful. So thank you for articulating your inspiration and it really resounds with me and I think it'll probably resound with others. So I don't think we have a choice and if you don't write, you feel it because you need to. Yeah. <laughs> you need oh, to. Yeah. That's a, yeah. It just happens. And yeah. You're going to end up right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rain, set the stage for us for what you're going to read. Again, share what the title is, and it did come out, released today, and then share a little bit about, you know, the character or the scene that you're going to read that you can without revealing too much because we want to put people in, right? And while you read, I'm going to go ahead and go mute and listen. Okay. My book is called A Song for the Road, and it's about a 15-year-old boy named Carter Danforth who um, is caught in a tornado in Tulsa, Oklahoma. His mother is injured, and all he has left to him in his life is his father's guitar, which he actually stole money to buy out of Hawk. And so he um, is homeless. He's lost his house in the tornado, and he's supposed to stay with his aunt in Reno, Nevada. And um, as he's being driven to the airport, he ends up running away, and he decides he's going to hitchhike across 
great 66 to find his long lost father. And he doesn't have any money and his mother has no idea where he is. And so when Carter runs away from home in search of his father, he gets this, um, idea that he's going to um, hitchhike by the kindness of strangers. And the very first time he hitches a ride, it ends up being with a criminal, Darren Bartles, who drinks an entire bottle of bourbon and hints at possible molestation, and it's a hitchhiking nightmare. And they've traveled on a hot stretch of desert highway without water or food, and Darren has stolen some equipment from his last construction job, and he's being chased by another car. And he makes 15-year-old Carter take the wheel, and it's Carter's first driving experience of his life. And so this scene is where Carter um, breaks free and runs to an old roadhouse tavern, the Little Yucca. Okay. All right. So Carter managed to jockey the pickup next to a gas pump. He cut the engine and pulled the keys. The truck's rattle fell silent, but not the buzzing in his ears. You wait here, Darren stepped out, holding a cordless drill like a pistol. Don't move or you'll get it. Darren stumbled around the truck and opened the gas tank, tank cover, but he was too muddled to coordinate the drill, the gas cap, the pump, and the nozzle. The drill fell to the concrete, and Carter gulped a deep breath. Now or never, grabbing his guitar and his backpack, he swung the door open and slid out in one fluid motion, sprinting for the tavern. He was halfway across the parking lot before it occurred to him it might be closed for business. But Carter didn't stop or slow. He ran for all he was worth, pitching Darren's keys into a tangle of devil chola cactus, edging the gas station's parking lot. Darren left the gas hose, propped in his truck, and took after him, hustling a blue streak. When Carter was almost to the tavern's entrance, he clasped his guitar against his chest and slammed his body into the door. It was on saloon hinges and gave easily. Carter tumbled in, falling onto his side. The guitar case broke free of his, gra- his grip when his shoulder hit the floor and skated across the broad wood floor boards into an iron foot rail, wrapping the length of the bar. Darren fell on top of him before he could make any sense of the place. You ain't going nowhere, little man. Carter tried to push the drunk man off his chest, but he was too powerful. The barkeep, an older gentleman who'd likely seen his share of fights, picked Darren up by his shirt. The gray blonde hairs on the barkeep's rugged arm glinted in a band of, of light streaming from the window. His fist reared back and then executed an effortless punch to Darren's gut. A knee thrusted Darren's ribs, followed quickly, then an elbow jab to the drunk's nose. The barkeep caught Darren before he dropped to the floor and tossed him out of the tavern. If Carter had second thoughts about taking a swing at Darren, he sure didn't want to get in a scrape with that barkeep. Sprawled on the hard-packed dirt outside, he spat and moaned, clutching his side where the barkeep's knee had been none too gentle. Carter kept his eyes glued to him, scared as a kitten in a dog pound that Darren would come barreling back into the tavern. The barkeep's cowboy boots stood right next to him, nearly as tall as his shoulder. He didn't dare make any sudden moves. Before Darren could catch his breath, a pickup truck with a home builder's logo pulled up next to him and two burly guys jumped out. The barkeep's hand thrust toward him, and Carter ducked. You all right, son? The man motioned to take hold of his hand, and Carter and helped Carter rise to his feet. Outside the tavern, Darren Bartles cursed up a storm. Carter nodded and said yes, sir, and dusted himself off. Try to tell me what that was all about, he asked. He didn't want to talk about where he'd come from or why. Carter figured a little truth was better than none. I was hitching a ride to two... Sorry, I was hitching a ride to Tucson. He gestured to the parking lot where Darren was unlocking the toolboxes in his truck bed while two men collected their contents. But my driver was more interested in the bottle than the road. Pushing his hair from his eyes, Carter squinted in the dim light from the bare bulbs hanging in mason jars from the rafters, his gaze sweeping every booth and table in the tavern. There wasn't a soul in the place. He could swear he heard music, but he felt so dizzy he couldn't tell where it was coming from. What's that sound, Carter asked, confused. History, grunted grunted the barkeep. He'd already resumed polishing glasses behind the bar and pointed with a towel to an old man strumming a guitar on a dusty, unlit stage in the corner. Carter relaxed a bit, having um, glad to have some distance between them. The sound was raw. It had a bit of an aura about it, like the static you hear between a vinyl record and the record player's needle. The song was some kind of old-time rock and roll, maybe Roy Orbison or Bobby Darin. Carter couldn't place it, but the old man played the song like it hurt him, and the only balm to soothe the pain was to play it through. 
A highway patrol car wheeled past the windows, lights flashing. Carter edged behind a wood post decorated with old six-shooters mounted on wood plaques where he wouldn't be spotted. He held his breath, wondering whether Darren would point them in his direction. One thing was sure, he couldn't make sense of what he was doing all by his lonesome in a bar in New Mexico. He hoped the police didn't come asking. He didn't even want to think about what his mother would do if he got pulled back from New Mexico in a police car. As he watched the construction guys introduce Darren to the cops, Carter could feel the barkeep's eyes on him. He filled a tall glass with ice and coke and placed it on the bar. A cold drink fixes most things. Carter wanted that drink and about ten more after it. The old man on the stage jutted his, his jaw in Darren's direction. We've seen him before, he said with a voice made of velvet and gravel. He's about as youthful as an ashtray on a motorcycle. Carter's thoughts flitted to the useless Yamaha V-Star among the ruins of his home. Placing his guitar stand, facing his guitar on stand, the old gent picked up a hand-whittled cane leaning at the edge of the stage. He teetered down the stage's short staircase and made his way over to the bar, slow and steady, like there was an expiration date on those old legs of his, and he was, and it was drawing near. A rusted 1930s truck bumper arched over a deserted drum kit. On the walls of the tavern hung out-of-date license plates and more than a dozen mounted sets of black-tipped steer horns. Carter's guitar was still under the bar, but the tavern was empty. When the old man got himself on a stool, the bartender put a glass of lemonade toward him without the word. Let's see what you got in that guitar case, boy. When Carter remained still as a cactus, he added... My name's Ledbetter. This is Mitch Keller, the best bartender in the Southwest. We aren't going to bite. Carter gave the two men a polite nod, but he had enough making new acquaintances. They seemed nice enough, but so was Darren when he first met him. But if he hoped to get his hands on his guitar, this was as good an opportunity as any. Even if Darren Bartles and the cops weren't right outside, what was Carter going to do? If he busted out of the little yucca in a blaze of glory, he'd find himself penniless under a perpetual New Mexican sun, a few states right of his intended destination. He thanked Mitch, the barkeep, for the drink, then picked up his guitar case. Carter set the case carefully on the long wood bar top, nipped, notched, and scarred in more places than smooth. He clicked open the latches and pulled out his father's guitar. The subtle scent of it calmed him. With the strap over his shoulder and his hand wrapped around the cutaway, the instrument gave him a sense of conviction, like its unlucky streak might be waning. If he was put on this earth to find his purpose, in truth he hoped his father's guitar could point him in the right direction. A left-handed Martin, the man called Ledbetter said, letting out a whistle of appreciation. Now here's a man who knows what he needs to summon his own sound. Was it? He played left-handed because that's the way his father taught him. It was a gimmick, a novelty to wow the crowd. Guess it worked. Just in time for auditions, too, let better at it. Above the bar hung a, wood, a carved wood sign about a foot long reading Musicians Wanted. How much do gigs pay, sir? Carter asked. Maybe his luck was turning. Judging by the size of this crowd, it's safe to say they're going to love me. Mitch didn't crack a smile. Won't be an empty seat in the house tonight, he grunted. None of them are interested in your jokes. Pass the audition. I'll pay you $50 to open for my headliners. Carter drained the coke and stared up at the empty stage, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. He couldn't be certain whether this was another kindness of strangers moment or if they were just messing with him. What you waiting for, son? Ledbetter gestured to the empty stool on the stage with his lemonade. Stage is yours. Let's hear what you got. As, Kate, as Carter drew closer to the stage, he got a decent look at Ledbetter's guitar, a vintage Pimentel. It had a red and green motif on the rosette, the decorative ring encircling the sound hole, and it boasted the stars of a life on stage, a life Carter had hoped to know. He was no stranger to auditions. Carter wasn't his daddy's boy anymore, though. If they ever locked horns about anything, it was because Eddie always had to have his way, and Carter was expected to shut his mouth and do what he was told. But Eddie wasn't shaking hands and making the deal that day. Carter could do things the way he saw fit. Mitch's deal would be perfect. If Carter played three or four shows, he'd probably earn enough money to buy a bus ticket straight to his dad's. You got a better gig this evening? Mitch asked from across the bar. Impatience was good, Carter recalled from his early training. A hungry audience appreciates a good performance. Eddie said he knew the formula for becoming famous, and all Carter had to do was follow his directions. What Eddie didn't have time nor patience for was feeling the music, getting inside it, making it your own. That was the part Carter liked best. 
He took a seat on the stool, hooking his running shoe over the post connecting the legs. He gripped the, his guitar's neck in his fist and stroked the strings along the frets, warming them. Just need a minute, sir. Carter looked down at his fingers. A thatch of hair fell in his eyes. He brushed it away, considering his first move. He figured these guys would rather hear some country music or rock and roll, but he couldn't risk pulling off anything Ledbetter might play. He wouldn't do it justice. Let's hope the cat lets go of his tongue once he's out of the bag, Ledbetter chuckled to Mitch. Carter closed his eyes and pinched the strings tight against the fretboard in a C chord. His eyes shot home open and he checked himself. Garrett from Polyvirus had noticed he was holding the Martin wrong too far from his body. Carter corrected himself and strummed the chord again. Just because a kid has a guitar doesn't make him a musician, his father told him, but technical skill will only get you so far. Carter's dad valued showmanship over everything. It's how a musician plays that matters, he said. The ghost of Eddie's voice was in his ear, coaching him to beguile the audience and not worry about whether he was any good or not. This was his first audition, and he figured he wouldn't get two chances. Carter closed his eyes again, silencing his father, and strummed a D minor followed by an E minor, dragging the vibration as long as he could, calling out to Kaya across the lonely desert, back up the Interstate 25 to Albuquerque. He let the vibration of his chords tap on her grandparents' front door. He imagined Kaya's smile, the feel of her warm palm pressed into his as they pulled into the airport the day before. He played the sounds of what he pictured in his mind, trying to form her shape like drawing in the night in the dark sky with a lit sparkler on the 4th of July. It felt good. There were songs inside him, he reckoned, in the form of memories. He didn't bother with showing off. He didn't even open his eyes. Carter Danforth was making his own music. Ideas for chord changes came fast and furious. He could see the finger patterns in his mind, what was required of him to bring around the sounds in his imagination to the ears of the two men across the room. It was exhilarating and his heart raced. Soon, his strumming hand fluttered over the strings like a hummingbird. But his wrist felt stiff and tight. The notes jumbled together, falling to the floorboards below his feet. He opened his eyes and looked up, searching the dusty bands of afternoon sunlight for the faces of the two men. Mitch was restocking a bar fridge with bottles of beer, his back to the stage. Ledbetter's seat was vacant. Carter glanced around the empty bar, looking for him. The door to the men's room opened, and, Car- and Ledbetter ambled back to his seat, cane in hand. I could use some help in the kitchen, Ledbetter suggested to Mitch. That's between you and the rock star, Mitch replied without turning around. Son, Ledbetter leaned on his cane and squinted at Carter. You know your way around a deep fryer? Carter sighed and stepped down from the stage. The guitar wasn't his and it was never going to be. The sooner he could get it signed and sold, the better. He needed to get back to his mother. If he could earn a few bucks feeding a hungry bar that night, he wouldn't complain. Carter needed money and time to figure out his next move. He glanced sidelong out the window. About 100 feet across the parking lot, Darren was being handcuffed by a highway patrol officer and tucked into the back of a cruiser. I suppose I could learn. Yay, bravo. I'm in love with Carter. (laughs) I love it. Well, bravo, bravo, bravo. I love it, Rain. Fantastic. And now I have to finish the book so I know what happens to him. (laughs) Does he ever become a a musician? Does he find his dad? I'd have to know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wonderful wonderful well before Thank we you. leave the end of the podcast rain share one additional tip if you have one um with any of the other listeners that are out there like me who are starting this whole process know what you want and go after what you actually want have a clear vision for the book that you are trying to write and the and the thing that you want to say and that will be the thing that guides you. You'll find the agent that is the, that understands your point and understands what you are doing. You'll find an agent who specializes in what you're doing. And that agent will have the contacts in the publishing world to put your book on the shelf that it belongs on and um, locate the audience of readers that will be most likely to love your book. So know yourself, know your book, and know what you want to say, I think is the most important thing. And, I, you know, when you're querying, instead of just summarizing the story, tell the reader what they're going to 
receive as a reward for reading the book, what will they get out of it? You know, a lot of times, you know, The Kite Runner was such a huge, thick novel with so many things happening, and it really was thought of as a father and son story. And so try to figure out what the absolute heart of your story is in three to five words, what the reader will get out of it, and just know that and, and stand by it no matter what, no matter how you want to express that thing, um, make sure you know you, you, you stay true to that, that diamond, that thing that you found in your writing. And then I think that that will help you find the right agent and the right publisher and the right readers. Awesome. Bravo. Great advice. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you being here. Um, listeners, if you loved what you heard, um, definitely get on the show notes and um, find Rain's books. And if you uh, email her, let her know you heard her on the podcast. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. And Rain, I, I love that. And we, I hope we can have you back again soon. You know, I'd love to bring you back on when that other book is out in 2020. We can talk about that one. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.